0: Welcome to the Presentation Boss Podcast, We're your hosts, I'm Kate Norris,
1: and I'm Thomas Craft.
0: Whether you're pitching your business, speaking at a work meeting, or on the stage, we're here to help you present with clarity and confidence.
1: It's episode 39 of the Presentation Boss Podcast, and time for our first speech breakdown of 2020. In these episodes, we find us a good talk from somewhere on the internet. Today, we're doing another TED Talk. Uh, and we play that for you so you get to hear an idea worth sharing. And we're going to pause at any times where we think the speaker's doing something really cool that we think uh, is worth copying, or if we see the speaker do something we think is uncool and not worth copying.
0: We believe that one of the best ways to become a better speaker is to watch different speakers and learn from them.
1: Today we're watching a TED Talk from Derek Muller.
0: You actually know Derek, don't you?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, it's not like we're friends, but... uh, He has a science YouTube channel, which he does reference in this talk. And I've been watching it for some years. So just convenient. He also has a TED talk that I like as well. Hmm. So this is Derek Muller, the key to effective educational science videos at TED in Sydney, 2012.
2: Go. How do you make a film that teaches people about science? I think it's an important question and I think it's a timely question, given that well, video is exploding everywhere on the Internet, And there are new initiatives popping up, like TED-Ed.
1: Okay, so there's something he's done here which I love, and there's two things which I don't love. The first is he opened with a question, how do you make an effective science video? Boom, we know exactly what it is he's going to talk about in this presentation.
0: Chances are he's going to answer that question.
1: Yeah, he's introduced the idea up front. Following on from that, I really think he needed a bit of a lengthier pause. Now, I don't know that the average person has an answer to that question, but just give a pause to think about it for a moment, to get into that space of educational videos, science videos, learning, just mm. a pause to get people into that space. Mm-hmm. And the last thing, and this is, I don't, I don't know, um, the way he pronounces Ted Ed, oh, I don't know, it, it's like over-articulated or something there,
0: Honestly, I think it's just an awkward word. I don't think there's any getting around that.
1: It is an awkward word. The only I was thinking like is it if you shorten it it sounds like something that's been acted upon by Ted it becomes tedded. Yeah, ted ed. Um,
2: it's just an awkward word. Yeah. And there are new initiatives popping up like Ted Ed. Now, this question, how do you make a film that effectively teaches someone something about science? That was the topic of my PhD.
1: All right, two things I love here. One is his emphasis and passion where he says, how do you effectively do that thing? The, you can see it in his face and I think you can hear it as well. The second is quite clever, is how he's introduced his credibility. Just, this was the topic of my PhD. Boom, there's your credibility. He's the right guy to speak on this topic without adding in any unnecessary detail and biographical information.
2: Of my PhD. So I'd like to tell you what I found out. I went to the University of Sydney and I took all the first-year physics students and I tried to teach them about the basic laws of motion, Newton's first and second laws. So I sent them away to their homes and I asked them to go online and sit a 26-question multiple-choice test. Here's a sample question, just so you get a a feel for what I was asking them. Imagine a basketball player shooting from the free-throw line. After he releases the ball, the forces on the ball are A, upwards and constant, B, upwards and decreasing, C, downwards and constant, D, downwards and decreasing, or E, tangent to the path of the ball. I want you to take a minute and think about (laughs) think about what you would answer and think about think about what you think other people might answer. Okay. I want us to think about what he's not
1: saying here. He has stripped out an enormous amount of detail. What we've heard is, He took a bunch of first-year physics students and he sat them down for a test. We didn't get the background of how he came up with the test or why he chose, where all of that, it was just what we need to know. He also said asking questions about Newton's first and second laws. Now, do we know what Newton's first and second laws are? No. Mm, Probably not. You know, an object in motion stays in motion, whatever. It's not important, so he didn't include it.
0: Which I think is an easy trap for a lesser presenter to fall into.
1: Especially in the science fields.
0: Especially in the science fields, yeah, because there's there's that feeling of oh they need to know
1: <laughs> They need to know everything. And then he gave us that example question and he had those five answers come up on his PowerPoint.
0: Just A B C D on the PowerPoint.
1: Yep. Which I th- you know, may sound overwhelming and a lot of technicality there, but really it's just an example. The actual words and answers don't matter. It's just this is the type of question that was on this multiple choice.
2: Think about what you think other people might answer. Okay, so then we would get the students to rate their confidence in their answers. How confident are you that this is correct? <laughs> I should mention that that is not the exact Likert scale that I gave them, but it's you know gets the idea across. Okay, and then I would randomly assign these students uh, to watch one of several videos about Newton's first and second laws. They lasted about eight to ten minutes. So in a standard uh, exposition video, I would say something like this to them. Well, we would state Newton's laws, and then we would apply it to a real-world example, like a juggler. I can't juggle, so I've got one ball. Anyway, um, so we would say something like, while the ball is in the air, there's only one force acting on it throughout its flight. That's the force of gravity, it's constant, and it's downwards. We'd actually animate a little arrow on the ball as it goes up and down in slow motion. Okay, so obviously the answer was C, whereas most people usually pick B.
0: Also, what he's done here, he's talking about the forces that are on a ball when it's in the air, Mm -hmm. and he's pulled out a juggling ball, and he's just tossing it on stage, and it's so good, it's so tactile. He could put it in a PowerPoint, but when it's a ball, he can bring that out on stage. It's really nice.
1: When you're talking about a physical object, why not have the physical object? Hmm.
2: Whereas most people usually pick B, to that question. Okay, so after watching this video, the students would sit the exact same 26-question test. I wanted to see, had they changed their minds about any of those questions? And I also interviewed a couple students to see what did they think about the video. Did they like it? Did they think that they learned something from it? And here's what they told me. Well, they said, Derek, that was a great video. It was clear. These are the most common things they said. It was clear. It was concise. It was easy to understand. That's good. And then I looked at, Their confidence scores, how did that change on average? Well, on average, it improved by about a point. Okay, everything's looking good, but how much did they learn? Well, on the pre-test, they scored 6 out of 26. And I can tell you there were basically direct answers to at least 14 of those questions, but how much did they pick up? The average on the post-test was 6.3. What happened?
0: Oh, okay. I love what he's done here. He's got a graph, but the way that he's done it is just, it looks like it's been done in Microsoft Paint. (laughs) It's it's scratchy. It's messy, but it gets the point across. And what he's done, he's got a column chart and he's put up the first bar and it's just kind of scribbled in and it's, you know, six. And he's saying this is what they scored first was six. And then the animation came in and we got the second bar, which looks basically exactly the same.
1: 0.3 higher apparently.
0: Yeah, 6.3, but, you know, on a graph that's going to look almost indistinguishable. So then he used animation to bring that second column in, which was only 6.3, and having them appear separately just really added to telling that story and not letting the graph get ahead of where you are in the story.
1: I think on the, on the like, hand-drawn nature of the visual – it really fits his style. Like I notice he has sort of little moments of authenticity as he's it's a bit speaking. casual. Yeah, it really just fits with this whole presentation.
0: Yeah. I like it. And you know what, this is so much showing, just showing that you absolutely don't need fancy graphing software to have really great data visualization.
2: What happened? <clears throat> they thought they learned, but their scores didn't change. Well, one of the students told me in the video it said, The ball is slowly decreasing in force. They thought there was some upward force in the ball and they thought that was presented to them. They couldn't even correctly remember what was presented five minutes earlier. And I had sat in the room with them and they watched the video. So
1: I think this is a clever way of building audience interest is talking about this process he went through that I think seems quite logical. uh, Showing videos, educating people and then it all just didn't work. Failed. So now we've got This is all sort of this build towards this climax of the talk about showing these videos and educating and whatever, and then now we've got this big question. Mm
2: -hmm. And I had sat in the room with them and they watched the video. The thing is, in science, students don't know nothing about what we're trying to teach them. They actually know lots of things through their interaction with the world. It just turns out that these things are wrong, scientifically speaking. (laughs) So when you present something, the student thinks they already know it, and they don't really pay utmost attention. They don't realize that what's being presented differs from their prior knowledge, and they just get more confident in those things that they were thinking beforehand. So actually, a clear expository summary is worse than no instruction at all. (laughs) I mean that very
0: seriously, so. He just said something, and it was a clear expository summary is worse than something, and honestly, what's an expository summary? Just-
1: It's an empirical statement.
0: <laughs> like, can you just use simple words? Because oh, that really threw me. I think that's just a little bit high level for me. And I think he just probably needed to think about his language a little bit. Just there. something a
1: bit bit more accessible.
0: Yeah, something that doesn't make me think. Like, I want to absorb his message. I don't want to have to think about translating what he's saying. Okay.
2: I mean that very seriously. So, so how do you get students to engage? Well, I tried a different approach. I put two people in a video, and I got one to voice the common misconceptions. And then the the tutor would kind of indicate, okay, that's not quite right, and they would work it out through a social dialogue. But I mean, we would even animate the misconception on the ball without telling anyone it was a misconception. They had to work that out through the social interaction. Okay, so this was the the very same setting that that the other students watched the exposition video. What did the dialogue students say? Well, no one told me that it was clear. No one told me it was concise. No one said it was easy to understand. In fact, most of the time they told me it was confusing. Man, maybe this backfired. So how'd they go on the post-test?
1: Again, we've had this sort of, this set up and fail model. re recorded these videos, was doing these things, but then people found it confusing. So again, we've sort of got that question again. We've tried something else, but it's failed. And the way he delivers that He sort of slows down his tone. He makes it a little bit more pertinent.
2: So How'd they go on the post-test? Well, their scores nearly doubled to 11 out of 26. Okay, it's not 26 out of 26, but it's a start. And what was the difference? Well, after the video, I asked students to rate their mental effort. How much mental effort did you expend while watching that video? And the students who watched the dialogue invested significantly more mental effort in engaging with that presentation than students who saw only an expository summary. So to me, there's a really important message there. Depending on how you present, you can change how your audience watches, and thereby how much they learn. And I'm now applying this. I've got a YouTube channel, it's called Veritasium. And I've made nearly 100 films which have been seen over 4.5 million times throughout the world. And you know, you always have to start with the misconceptions. Thank Thank you.
0: Well, okay. That was an exceptionally abrupt ending. I feel like I've missed something. I feel like it needed another minute or two of summary of-
1: Sort of explicitly pulling the learnings out, maybe?
0: Yes. I think to him, It's extremely obvious what he was saying, what the point of it was. But for me, I was just like, oh, it's over. I think you're right. I think I needed that explicitly said. So, when you are making an educational science video, you need to do X, Y, Z. Because while I think I understood what he's saying, I still don't feel like I'm any further along understanding the key to effective educational science videos.
1: Oh, right. Mm. Okay. Because I I love this talk. Like, I I love the learning psychology behind it. Like, I- I I talk about that either, if you have to bust the misconceptions first. And that was his last sentence was, you need to always start with the misconceptions. What was weird to me was he said, I have a YouTube video with this many videos, it's been viewed this many times. I was like, okay, what's your point there? And then there was that sentence where he said, I always start with the misconceptions. I was like, okay, so that's sort of the message. You know, when he brought up that YouTube channel, it was kind of like, okay, what's the point? You know, you you give your educational videos in this way. What's the actual result? What's the outcome? What's the benefit? I think, though, considering this whole talk goes for about six minutes and ten seconds, he's done a really good job of shaving out a lot of unnecessary detail and potential complexity and giving us the information we need to come as close as possible to understanding his message.
0: Yeah, I think he's shaved out too much. I think he's also shaved out the learning for me. Really? Okay. Yeah. Yep, yeah, I'm confused. I'm yeah, I don't feel like I've learned anything there. Really? Yeah. So what was the message you got out of that?
1: I think his message is exceptionally clear. Like if I can summarize all of his talk, it's that people don't know nothing about the world around them and they develop sort of these these misconceptions and ideas that are wrong. So when we're educating people, and I think this is the message, you need to talk about the misconceptions, debunk them, and then give people the correct information that, I think, is what he references with the key to effective educational science videos. Not just telling people something, but going through that misconception, debunk, and then inform process. Oh my gosh,
0: I have totally missed that.
1: Oh, okay. Uh, so what was the message you got then?
0: I did a PhD, and one thing worked and one thing didn't. There was no message to me. There was no... Really? Learning. No, wow. no.
1: This is really interesting, because like... I'm wondering, I'm wondering two things. The first thing is like, would you be willing to watch this a second time and see if you like pick up what I saw?
0: Yeah, I, I probably would. I think I need to hear it a second time to understand that I need to be looking for my own learnings, that I'm not going to be given the answer at the end like I expected to be.
1: Okay. All right. So here's an idea. This is the second thing I was going to raise is I want to know about you listening. Did you get the message out of it that I did or something similar? Or was this talk abrupt? I think what I'm going to do, I'm going to put this entire talk without our interruptions unedited at the end of this episode if you want to listen through it again.
0: It's only six minutes, Yep, Good idea. Yeah, yeah I, I think I just feel like it was only six minutes. Use eight and give me something more clear, more explicit.
1: Yeah, okay. All right, do we want to talk about what we saw?
0: Sure.
1: I think the obvious yeah. thing was he, he does have a PowerPoint sort of going in the background.
0: Yeah, and I really quite like it. It's cute. It's very simple. I don't think it necessarily... Ads.
1: Well, it was, all, it was all in that sort of hand-drawn sort of style that we mentioned with that one graph.
0: Yeah, and I think it does actually add to his talk, but you can also happily listen to it without those graphics, and I think you'd take away the same thing from it.
1: Yeah, probably pretty close. I think as far as physically what he did, uh, he stood on the red dot. His facial expressions especially I thought were quite good. He shows yeah. He shows excitement and enthusiasm and his passion really well through his facial expressions.
0: He looks like he really loves talking about it.
1: Oh, absolutely. I was definitely going to say the word genuine. Derek's talking about the thing that he loves and he likes talking about it and he likes the topic.
0: He's excited to be there. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Yeah. So overall, I think I have very mixed feelings about that. I really love the way that he presents. I love his visuals and I was really loving it up until the five minute 45 mark (laughs) and then it just finished. Mm. So very mixed feelings for me.
1: So interesting, because I love this talk. I think it's short. I think it's punchy. It delivers one idea that's quite, it's clear. And also as some, as people who, I mean, we are effectively educators as well, a very real tool and tactic that I can and do use. So that was Derek Muller at TED in Sydney 2012. There's a link down in the show notes to both this talk and his YouTube channel so you can see how he employs that key to effective educational science videos. And if you stick around after the show, I'm going to play the entire talk unedited so you can listen to it again if you need it.
0: Thanks for listening to today's show. We'd love for you to leave us a review on iTunes. If you'd like to know more, check out presentationboss.com.au slash podcast where you'll find the show notes for today with links to everything we've discussed. If you have a speech you'd like us to listen to and break down on the show, flick us the link at podcast at presentationboss.com.au. We're always happy to hear your thoughts or take suggestions for future episodes. Most importantly, we rely on you to share the information of this podcast. If you found value in today's episode, please recommend us to a friend. Have a great week.
2: How do you make a film that teaches people about science? I think it's an important question, and I think it's a timely question, given that, well, video is exploding everywhere on the Internet, and there are new initiatives popping up, like TED-Ed. Now, this question, how do you make a film that effectively teaches someone something about science, that was the topic of my PhD. So I'd like to tell you what I found out. I went to the University of Sydney, and I took all the first-year physics students and I tried to teach them about the basic laws of motion, Newton's first and second laws. So I sent them away to their homes, and I asked them to go online and sit a 26-question multiple-choice test. Here's a sample question, just so you get a a feel for what I was asking them. Imagine a basketball player shooting from the free-throw line. After he releases the ball, the forces on the ball are A, upwards and constant, B, Upwards and decreasing. C. Downwards and constant. D. Downwards and decreasing. Or E. Tangent to the path of the ball. I want you to take a minute and think about. <laughs> think about what you would answer, and think about think about what you think other people might answer. Okay? So then we would get the students to rate their confidence in their answers. How confident are you that this is correct? I should mention that that is not the exact Likert scale that I gave them, but it's, you know, gets the idea across. Okay, and then I would randomly assign these students uh, to watch one of several videos about Newton's first and second laws. They lasted about eight to ten minutes. So in a standard uh, exposition video, I would say something like this to them. Well, we would state Newton's laws, and then we would apply it to a real-world example, like a juggler. I can't juggle, so I've got one ball. Anyway, um, so we would say something like, while the ball is in the air, there's only one force acting on it throughout its flight. That's the force of gravity, it's constant, and it's downwards. We'd actually animate a little arrow on the ball as it goes up and down in slow motion. Okay, so obviously the answer was C, whereas most people usually pick B to that question. Okay, so after watching this video, the students would sit the exact same 26 question Test. I wanted to see, had they changed their minds about any of those questions? And I also interviewed a couple students to see what did they think about the video. Did they like it? Did they think that they learned something from it? And here's what they told me. Well, they said, Derek, that was a great video. It was clear. These are the most common things they said. It was clear. It was concise. It was easy to understand. That's good. And then I looked at their confidence scores. How did that change on average? Well, on average, it improved by about a point. Okay, everything's looking good. But how much did they learn? Well, on the pretest they scored six out of twenty-six. And I can tell you there were basically direct answers to at least fourteen of those questions. But how much did they pick up? The average on the post test was six point three. What happened? They thought they learned, but Their scores didn't change. Well, one of the students told me, in the video it said, the ball is slowly decreasing in force. They thought there was some upward force in the ball, and they thought that was presented to them. They couldn't even correctly remember what was presented five minutes earlier. And I had sat in the room with them, and they watched the video. The thing is, in science, students don't know nothing about what we're trying to teach them. They actually know lots of things through their interaction with the world. It just turns out that these things are wrong, scientifically speaking. (laughs) So when you present something, the student thinks they already know it, and they don't really pay utmost attention. They don't realize that what's being presented differs from their prior knowledge, and they just get more confident in those things that they were thinking beforehand. So actually, a clear expository summary is worse than no instruction at all. I mean that very seriously. So, so how do you get students to engage? Well, I tried a different approach. I put two people in a video, and I got one to voice the common misconceptions. And then the, the tutor would kind of indicate, OK, that's not quite right, and they would work it out through a social dialogue. But I mean, we would even animate the misconception on the ball without telling anyone it was a misconception. They had to work that out through the social interaction. Okay, So this was the the very same setting that that the other students watched the exposition video. What did the dialogue students say? Well, no one told me that it was clear. No one told me it was concise. No one said it was easy to understand. In fact, most of the time, they told me it was confusing. Man, maybe this backfired. So how'd they go on the post-test? Well, their scores nearly doubled to 11 out of 26. Okay, it's not 26 out of 26, but it's a start. (laughs) And what was the difference? Well, after the video, I asked students to rate their mental effort. How much mental effort did you expend while watching that video? And the students who watched the dialogue invested significantly more mental effort in engaging with that presentation than students who saw only an expository summary. So to me, there's a really important message there. Depending on how you present, you can change how your audience watches and thereby how much they learn. And I'm now applying this. I've got a YouTube channel. It's called Veritasium. And I've made nearly 100 films, which have been seen over 4.5 million times throughout the world. And you know, you always have to start with the misconceptions. Thank you.
1: Thank you.